0: is
1: For the children of Israel, they're always reminded that God's the hero of the story that they needed deliverance, they needed forgiveness. God did a good thing and they were a challenge in the midst of it and I just love the fact that it's so honest and you know, you never wanna forget where you've been. And the last thing you wanna do is to make you the hero of every one of your stories because it's dishonest.
0: Life is full of ups and downs. With each new season comes another set of challenges and difficulties. Today, Pastor Daniel shares that there's a temptation to make yourself the hero of your story, as if you were the one who made it possible to get through that tough time. But that's not being honest. Jesus is the one who carried you through. He's the hero. Keeping him at the center will help you see how he's constantly at work for good in your life. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in Nehemiah chapter 9 as he begins his message, the past and the present. Jesus.
1: So for each one of us in every season of our life, there's a story that's uh, being written. It's it's a fascinating thing when you start to think about your life as a literally as a journey where there's different seasons. I, I remember growing up, you know, uh, in my family, my, my my grandma who is such a blast. I remember she used to she could never remember which grandkid she was talking to. You. So like so for me, you know, I have two sisters, and so she would always call me. Trisha Jody Danny, you know, because that's my sister's names and mine all put together, you know, I know some of you are like, oh, Danny, you can only call me Danny if you're my grandma or if you give me a cannoli, that's the, that's the rule, so that, just so you know, because I know someone's bound to, oh, you can call him Danny, no, only if you give me a cannoli, but, but I remember growing up, I'd say, grandma, my name is not Trisha Jody Danny, she's like, well, listen, I'm old, I can call you whatever I want to, you know. And I remember just laughing and feeling, all right, Grandma, you got me there. But what's amazing is, is now that I've gotten older, I just call my kids you. Because I can't remember. Like I know that I have Obadiah, Maranatha, and Annabelle, but like it's like it doesn't fire as quick as it used to. Now I haven't gotten to the point because their names are long, calling them Obadiah, Maranatha, Annabelle to get a passing out at the end of something like that. But but like it's funny how like now that I've gotten older, I'm like, wow, I totally get why my grandma would call us by everyone's name at the same time. She knew who we were, but it's like it doesn't fire as quick. And, and I'm aware of the fact that, I mean, I'm only 45 years young, but like I never thought I'd make it this far, right? I, 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 used, to, I used to joke that I'm like, Jesus made it to 33. Any day more than 33 is definitely more than I deserve, right? But, but if you look back over your life, there's these different seasons, isn't there? Different things that were going on. And in a lot of ways, one, I think one of the keys to life is to be able to embrace the different seasons for what they are, right? We have a tendency to have that kind of almost like the glory days mentality. You guys, you know the song, right? Good old Bruce Springsteen, you young kids, Bruce Springsteen, he's the boss. New Jersey's native son is a classic tune from the 80s called glory days where classic guitar riff intro, look it up online. And, and, you know, we have a tendency to look back on a certain time and say that was when it was really beautiful. That was when things were what they were supposed to be. And I think the mistake that we make with that is that you actually miss out on what God wants to do today. And what's fascinating is that we're going to see today how for the children of Israel, there was a continual rehearsal of their past as a view into the future. There's a continual reminder of where they have been, not so that they live there, but so that they would realize that how God worked in their lives in the past gives a view into how God wants to work in people's lives today. You know, and, And I always like to remind people that every sinner has a past and every saint has a future. And what that means is that everyone comes from somewhere. And really for the child of God, really what you end up finding is that when you allow Jesus to be the center of your story, there will be different seasons, different times in life. But if Jesus is the center of the story, each one has its own beauty involved with it. So in order to get at this today, I want you to open up in your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 9. We're in the book of Nehemiah chapter 9. If you brought your Bible with you, and I've been encouraging you, I want you to bring your Bible to church. Why? Just because you can. If I don't ask you to bring the Bible to church, then no one else is gonna ask you to bring your Bible somewhere. So bring it to church with you. You don't have to though, because I know you have smart devices and some of you like to read on the phone. I was just talking to someone the other day and they're like, man, Pastor Daniel, backlit devices are really good for my reading. So praise God. But like, so, open up your phone. Go to your favorite browser window. I love the good old fashioned, the book. It's I love that. So Nehemiah is between uh, Ezra and the book of Esther in the Old Testament. Chapter nine is still between eight and ten. So I say that now with my tongue in cheek because at some point they're going to tell us it's actually not there anymore and I don't know how that's going to work but we'll figure it out together culturally speaking. And so, so Nehemiah chapter 9 and, and we're in this great section in the book of Nehemiah because you know the first really six chapters was building the walls and then the rest of the book is building the people. And I've been making the case that in this work of restoration, Nehemiah is so honest because really what he's reminding us is that in order to be able to build people up, the very first thing we have to do is we have to assuage their greatest feelings of vulnerability. So the walls of Jerusalem being broken down made the people vulnerable. You really couldn't build up the people until you you fixed the walls. But then once the walls get fixed, now it creates a context for the people to get built up. And what we've been seeing, of course, in the last number of chapters is that so much of the building up of what they're experiencing, this restoration process, it really comes down to how they are interacting with the word of God. They're hearing the word and they're letting it do its necessary work in our lives. But really what my hope is, is that even right now you would say, Lord, will you speak to me from your word? Lord, I don't just want to hear your word, but I want you to let it impact my heart. Really do the work that you want to do in me as I hear the word of God. I love what God is doing in them because we realize in the timestamp of verse one that we're still here in this month where they've, participated in the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, just a few days later, the 24th day of the month, if you remember the Feast of Tabernacles from the last chapter, was from the 15th to the 22nd. So two days later, it says, the children of Israel were assembled with fasting sackcloth and with dust on their heads. So, you know, we don't often realize that the idea of fasting for them was a complete and total humiliation. Sackcloth was not the the most Gucci fashion of the day. It was designed to be uncomfortable right? Dust on their head. The idea was they are having these outward expressions of humiliation and humility. And what's really amazing is, is they're fasting, they're seeking the Lord, they're, they're humbled, they're separating themselves, and they're confessing their sins. And it's amazing, it says they're hearing the law for one-fourth of the day. So they're literally hearing the law taught for six hours. So we're going to extend service times. (laughs) And then it says that for the other quarter, a a fourth day, they confess and they worship the Lord God. So they're having 12-hour worship gatherings, six hours of teachings, six hours of confession and worship. Now, I I just want to say, like, you know God is doing a work in people when there's no amount of Bible teaching and worship and confession that is too long. Because God is moving on their hearts. Now, you have to realize part of the dilemma, I think, for us, of course, is that we're used to having the word of God. And for them, they had been exiled off the land for a long time. So they hadn't been together in Jerusalem. And so because of the, you know, there's an old saying that familiarity breeds contempt. Because they hadn't been together, because they didn't have the scriptures, they realized how special this was. And so so God was doing a work. And then they move into this beautiful prayer of the Levites over the people. And really this first section of this prayer can really be summed up in one simple idea and it's that you and I should never forget where we have been. You should never forget where you've been. Because they say, stand up and bless the Lord your God forever and ever. Blessed be your glorious name, which is exalted above all blessing and praise. You alone are the Lord. You have made heaven, the heavens of heavens, with all their hosts, the earth and everything in it, the seats and all that is in them. And you preserve them all. The host of heaven worships you. And then you are the Lord God who chose Abram. See, really what they do is they praise God and then they go through this long synopsis of the story of the children of Israel from creation which you get in Genesis chapters one and two and then you move into the life of Abram and then you move into what was going on in the book of Exodus with the children of Israel in Egypt and then you move your way, God's deliverance from Egypt and then you move into the, the wilderness wanderings where the Lord provided for them. And over and over and over again in your Bible you find this rehearsal of the history of the children of Israel. And one of the things that I love so much about these retellings of the story of the children of Israel is that the Bible is so honest. God did amazing things, but the people struggled. I mean, they they retell the story, and of course, they bring up the mistakes that were made. Notice, by the time you get to something like verse 16, but they and our fathers acted proudly, hardened their necks and did not heed your commandments they refused to obey they were not mindful of your wonders that you did among them but they hardened their necks and in their rebellion they were appointed a leader to return to their bondage but you are God ready to pardon gracious and merciful slow to anger and abundant in kindness and you did not forsake them see here's the deal For the children of Israel, the rehearsing of their story was their mistakes and God's faithfulness. They got things wrong, but God. And this type of thinking is very foreign to us because we live in a day and age where we all want to put our best foot forward, right? And I don't think that's a bad thing, wanting to put our best foot forward, but like it's amazing how often we can look back on a season and when we retell the synopsis of the story, we're always the hero of the story, right? It's like, and for the children of Israel, they're always reminded that God's the hero of the story. That they needed deliverance. They needed forgiveness. God did a good thing and they were a challenge in the midst of it. And I just love the fact that it's so honest. And you know, you never want to forget where you've been. And the last thing you want to do is to make you the hero of every one of your stories because it's dishonest. God's the hero. That's why I always like to tell people that a testimony is, a person has a testimony when they choose to tell their story with God at the center and not them. And for each one of us, if we're here today and we are followers of Jesus, then God has to be the center of your story. Because you begin to see how God redeems your mistakes. You begin to see how God works through the things that we would have rather have not had had happen, and how God does an amazing work. And so much, I believe, of what God wants to do in each one of our lives is that work of redemption where we allow him to redeem where we've been and what we've been through, but we start to see him moving in the midst of all of it. It's been my prayers as I've been preparing for this message because I realize that God's work of redemption, it, it doesn't take him time to do it, it takes us time to realize it. And my prayer has been for us as a church family, for each one of you in your own story, that you can begin to see the redemptive hand of God in some of this stuff. There's an old saying, if you can't see God in everything, you probably can't see him in anything. What would it look like for you to tell your story But to put God at the center. How different would that story look? You know, I've been thinking about this a lot because of you know the culture in which we live today. You know, I, I love that we get to be here today for such a time as this, but our culture is really struggling in regards to how we see ourselves, our identity. Right? And, and, and our culture, right now, in this cultural moment in America, the overriding identity that everyone has is, a, is the identity of a victim. It's like they call it the new victimocracy. Everyone is a victim now. Right? And, and what's amazing is, is when you think about that, like none of us can actually, we've never been in other people's shoes, so you really can't say anything about someone's story right like you can't say oh listen you know oh you know you shouldn't feel that way right but it, like in a in a culture where everyone is a victim unless you find victimhood then you kind of feel left out right because our culture loves everyone you know everyone has the fear of missing out but i started thinking about but when you're a follower of jesus you're more than a conqueror So the victim mindset, like if you're a follower of Jesus, actually, no, you're not a victim. You realize that there's a story there, but you're an overcomer because Jesus overcame. And God redeems the worst. And I'm not saying that people don't go through tragedy and people have not been legitimately victimized. I'm saying that what happens for the follower of Jesus is that all of a sudden because of who Jesus is and what he's done now we look through the lens of what we're experiencing we're saying that was really hard but God did this. But God worked in this way. And then you start to see yourself not as a victim, but as an overcomer. And not as an overcomer because you're rooted in your victimhood. You're rooted in the finished work of Jesus. And I think that's one of the great strengths of following Jesus. If there was ever a person who could claim victimhood, it was Jesus. He never sinned and he was judged with all the sins of the world. Gosh. But he walked through that. Death couldn't hold him. And I' see the children of Israel experiencing this same thing. They are so aware of their failings, but they're even more aware of the power of God. And I believe that part of the restoration work that God wants to do, not only just in this year, but the work of redemption He wants to do is He wants to move us from the brokenness that we've experienced, our own issues and move us into the power and the presence of God. But you can't forget where you've been. And I'm reminded, when I say don't forget where you've been, I'm also not saying that we should be living in our past either. Because there's a beautiful verse, Isaiah chapter 43, verses 18 and 19 says it this way, do not remember the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth, shall you not know it? I will even make a road in the wilderness and streams in the desert. Now, I love that. Because when, when he says, do not remember the former things, he's not saying forget where you've been. He's saying, just because it used to be that way doesn't mean it's going to be that way. Your past is what it is, but God wants to do something fresh. And what I've learned in in 20 years of following Jesus and spending a lot of time in pastoral ministry, we can always miss what God wants to do today by being focused on what God did in the past. Like, past success is the greatest hindrance to future success. Because just because it worked in the past doesn't mean it's what God wants to do now. Now. And so we have a tendency to have that glory days mentality. Like, oh man, like like some of you right now with all that's going on in the world, you're like, man, I just love the early 80s when Reagan was the president. Ooh, so good. Some of you don't even know who Reagan was. God bless you. I was just talking to somebody, man, when Reagan was the president, it was amazing. I'm like, (laughs) you guys were still listening to disco in the 80s. You guys were smoking cigarettes in the 80s. You had, you guys had, you guys killed the ozone layer with your hairspray in the 80s. <laughs> it's the glory days. <laughs> I'm just messing with you guys. But seriously, like, maybe it was great, but it was yesterday. What does God want to do Today? So we always have to remember where we've been, but don't try and live back where you used to. What I found with churches, especially churches, church movements, because they got used in the past, they want to stay just that way, thinking they'll be used in the future. It just never happens that way. The church always needs to adjust. The message doesn't adjust. But how we reach people, it's always needing to be adjusted. And in each one of our lives, God is constantly saying, look, I want you to remember where you've been. I want you to remember what I've done. I want you to remember that I did it despite you. And then I want to lead you into the future of what I have. So you see how they continue. And now they've kind of moved from the time in the wilderness to that time when they moved into the promised land. God's deliverance with, through, through Joshua, but even though God had done this great work, the people are still in this cycle of failing and then having hardship because of it, and, and it's just a great reminder that God is faithful even when we are not. Now, that isn't a license for us to be unfaithful, but we have to realize that God is still faithful even when people are not. And I love that, the fact that God is faithful. I love the fact that even if I am imperfect, which I am so good at being, God is still perfect and faithful. And that's really the gospel now, isn't it? The gospel is not that we get everything right. The gospel is that we have failed and are in need of a savior and God gets everything right. And the children of Israel, as they're looking back over their past, as they're having these recitals and rehearsals of where they've been, we are reminded again of the fact that God does great work, but the people struggle. I mean, you go from, you know, verses 22 to 25, and it talks about how they got to walk into these great strong cities and how God did this amazing work and they they dispossessed the people. Notice verse 26, nevertheless they were disobedient, they rebelled against you and they cast their law behind their backs and they killed your prophets who testified against them to turn them to yourself and they worked great provocations. Therefore, you delivered them into the hands of your enemies. If you think of the book of, the, of Judges, the book of Judges has this cyclical story of God's deliverance the people apostatizing or falling away from the Lord and then you know being exiled and then God delivering again. So we have this tendency to think, Man, if if God just did great things, then we would be solid. And it's actually, no, oftentimes God does great things and we forget him pretty quickly. But even though we're faithless, God is faithful.
0: Honesty requires you to admit that you're not perfect. You mess up a lot. We all do. But today, Pastor Daniel reminded you that even when you're unfaithful to Him, God always remains faithful to you. Today, you saw how the Israelites blew it over and over again. They kept disregarding God's ways in favor of their own. But He always took them back. His faithfulness never wavered. In the same way, Jesus is always there for you, waiting for you to turn to Him. His faithfulness isn't dependent upon yours. Hey everybody, Pastor Daniel here.
1: I realize that there are many of you, you're not a born again follower of Jesus. You've never put your faith and trust in Jesus. But as you've been listening, you've been saying to yourself, I want to begin to follow Jesus. I want to help you do that right now. We're going to pray a simple prayer that just acknowledges who Jesus is in your life. Pray this prayer with me. Say, Jesus, I'm giving you my life. Thank you for saving me. I believe in you, your life, your death on the cross and your resurrection. Forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And I ask it in Jesus' name, amen. For those of you who just received Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, I'm so excited for you. I want to help you take your next steps with him. So pull out your mobile phone, text the word SAVE to 51400, S-A-V-E-D to 51400. And my team will get
0: in touch with you. We want to get some more resources in your hands to help you on this journey. Next time on Jesus is Real Radio, Pastor Daniel will remind you that nothing you do can separate you from the love of God. His grace for you isn't determined by how good you are or the things that you do. There are times of unfaithfulness in all your stories, but yet God is still faithful. You're secure in his love no matter what. You've been listening to Jesus is Real Radio with Pastor Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. Pastor Daniel will continue teaching through this series called Honest. Until then, may God bless.